and welcome to The Turning Point, a weekly show that's being created to help you overcome the challenges of having the career you always dreamed of. Together, we're going to be learning how to overcome those obstacles that may stand in your way. My guests will give you an insight into their own turning point and what issues they came across when starting their journey to a happier working life. Today's guest is Simon Whitbread, who originally trained as a primary school teacher, but he realised three years into a four-year course that that's not the right thing for him anymore. So that sounds quite like a, a switch right from the off. So without further ado, Simon, welcome. Hello, thank you. How are you doing? You're all right? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, yeah, it's nice to talk to you. Thank you. So you've obviously sent me a bit more info, but I thought that was just a quite a nice bit just to pull out from the very start. So it sounds like you intended to do something before you really got into it. There was a bit of a switch. So yeah. if we could, if we just start at the very beginning and just tell us what you've done in the past. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is when you're at school and when you're you're kind of 16, uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what you're going to do for the rest of your life and where you're going to go and what job you're going to have. And, you know, when I was at school, which is, you know, 20 odd years ago now, there was a real sense of kind of choosing a career for the whole of your life. Um, and funnily enough, at the age of 16, uh, I didn't have much of a clue what I wanted to do. Uh, but teaching seemed like a secure thing. It seemed like a, a, a good kind of idea. And primary school kids are quite small. So, you know, that couldn't be too scary. I, I'm sure I could kind of cope within that kind of primary school environment. But it was amazing, actually, just, you know, two or three years into doing the course, actually, I realised there was a much bigger world out there. There was a whole uh, kind of wealth of opportunities and things that I could do that I didn't really have the confidence to think about when I was just 16 and starting to kind of make those decisions. So, yeah. Do you think that was a sort of a communication thing from when you were at school that you didn't really know exactly what was out there because he's not being said what you could or couldn't do? Well, I think part of it is just that that you kind of get pigeonholed. And at the age of 16, I'm not sure anyone really kind of knows what they want to do with their lives. Um, and those that do uh, normally tend to want to be um, want to be footballers or want to be superheroes. Um, so I don't think anyone really has an idea of what they're capable of at 16. And because I went into doing a vocational degree rather than just doing, you know, English or maths or something like that, um, I kind of pigeonholed myself. But actually, I realised I was capable of, of doing so much stuff um, that I hadn't even thought about. And that's not to knock teaching. It just wasn't something that I think, having thought about it, it was really the right thing for me. So it was just like, stop. Yeah. And... Well, Kind of, and, and that's the difficult thing, because three years into a four-year course, it was then that decision, do I stop the degree or do I finish it? And actually, I decided I would finish the degree, and I thought, however bad it would be in trying to look for jobs or look for future careers in a completely different area, stopping doing what I was doing and just not having a degree at all probably would look worse. So I continued on for another year. I kind of muddled my way through. Uh, I managed not to uh, yeah, shout out too many kids too much. Uh, and, and just kind of carried on. But I knew in my last year when all my friends were applying for teaching jobs and going looking around schools, I, I was starting to look for something else. I was starting to look for kind of new opportunities and new things to do. I'm, I'm going to assume that took you into a 10-year career in a, in a business as an organisation. Yeah, but there was a few kind of... Um, I, I tried out a few things to a certain extent, including a, a stint as a, a, a pub chef, which, yeah, again, wasn't really right for me. Um, but then I got a job at an insurance company um, and it was it was a nice company. It was the kind of thing I, I could imagine uh, working for the rest of my life for. 
Um, it's the kind of thing that I think that my parents approved of in terms of a job. It seemed like a good, solid career type thing. So I went for that. And actually, it was one of those things that I suppose there were lots of people I knew who kind of started working there as a stopgap. Uh, but like myself, ended up kind of working there for a long time uh, and kind of developing things and learning new stuff. And within that 10 year period I was there, I, I went through probably at nine or 10 different jobs and different uh, kind of departments and different um, activities. So I was always still changing and, and really looking for the bit that really kind of suited me. And although I was enjoying and learning a lot, I was still slightly unsettled throughout most of that time. But I suppose being able to move, like you mentioned, moving around to different roles and different sections of that business sort of, well, like you say, it allowed you to learn a lot and almost, I would imagine saying, from what you said, staying in the same position, you would have just, you wouldn't have lasted anywhere near 10 years, but the freedom you had to just move around and do different things made it a bit, for want of a better term, maybe bearable. Yeah, and, and, and I, I, at the time, I don't think it, I ever thought about it as being bearable. It just seemed to be lots of new and exciting opportunities. And, you know, one minute I'd be working in one department and then I could, you know, I'd see there was a, a, an internal job opportunity to do something else. So I could then go and work somewhere else and do a different project for six or nine months or 12 months. And there were some really great things. When you work for a really big company, there's always lots of uh, kind of exciting opportunities. I got to go to India uh, and do some work over there as, as part of the work just for a few weeks with the, with one of the jobs. And that's a great and exciting opportunity. But after a while, you, you keep jumping and jumping and jumping and start to think, actually, this isn't right. Because um, nothing really kind of properly felt like I was, I, I wanted to settle there. I, I kind of felt like I was at home. Yeah, I suppose if you're, if you're hopping around, you are really still searching for something then, aren't you? And yeah. I would imagine constantly feeling like that can become tiresome. Yeah, I, don't, I think lots of these things you kind of realise in retrospect or because at the time, you know, that each new opportunity came with a bit of a pay rise. It came with uh, kind of new benefits and, and, and new things and new things to learn. So you don't kind of notice it, but it's only when you start looking back and you go, actually, yeah, I have done a lot of different um, different things. And actually, maybe that's not as, um, as good as you first kind of think about it, particularly, I think, as you kind of uh, grow a bit older and, and start then thinking more longer term um, to then go, yeah, no, no, maybe this isn't quite working right. And you start to wonder, actually, am I going to run out of opportunities at some point? And, you know, the, it's a bit like, um, the, you know, the child's game where you kind of um, uh, musical chairs uh, and you're kind of jumping around and jumping around and it's fine. And then suddenly realise that there's no chair left. Uh, you kind of jumped on all of them and suddenly you're kind of left out in the cold and, uh, everyone else has got something they're settled into and is the expert in, and you're the one who's kind of left out on the side, who's who's kind of a bit lost, really. That's quite quite an interesting analogy. That and did did you ever feel like that while you were working for the insurance company? I, did you ever start thinking about that? What if? I, I think that really came in the last sort of year or so of when I was there, and and there were lots of changes going on anyway. Um, they were moving at a time when uh, financial services wasn't a, a great uh, kind of marketplace to work in. Uh, lots of um, unsecurities in, in terms of what was happening with the, the, the economy, what was happening uh, in terms of uh, the expansion of the company and where they were going. And that just made me start to reflect and think about, yeah, where where am I going with all of this? Um, and you start to think about, can you put, if I was to sit down and try and explain to someone where I was going, does it sound like it's a, a sensible thing or does it sound like I'm 
yeah, just kind of flipping around and not really knowing what I was kind of doing career-wise. So was that the reason why you got to the point and thought, right, it's, it's time for a change? I think there were, there were probably two or three things that kind of really triggered it. Um, so one, right. um, there was that sense of insecurity around my job and, and where it was going and what was happening. Um, I, I think the second thing is that culturally, um, we'd just gone through some massive changes as a business. There were lots of um, kind of promises around what the culture internally and for the customers would be like. But because of the economy, because of the financial crisis, actually the business was starting to turn their back on some of those things. So there was a, a big kind of slogan around, you're not a number, uh, which kind of gives away who I was kind of working for. Um, but actually, staff did start to become just a number. And I was doing a lot of executive coaching and heads of coaching at that time. And you'd be sat in rooms talking about people who I'd worked with over 10 years, but they were just a number on a spreadsheet. And that kind of grated a bit with me. I think the other thing that I, I struggled with was the fact that I had lots of other uh, kind of friends and colleagues who were in the process of being made redundant and the process of leaving. And that was really tough as well. And kind of, it's almost like survivor's syndrome that, you know, having seen lots of people go through rounds of redundancy and leave and you're the one kind of left. It just kind of, again, felt really uncomfortable to still be in that situation when so many other people were losing their jobs who kind of thought that this job would be their job for life. Whereas I was not that fast and being kind of left um, when they were all leaving. So it was kind of those three things that really made me want to uh, think about new opportunities and move on. What's, what were the opportunities that you started thinking about? Because I assume you're in quite a thought, you were in, in comparison to the people that you just mentioned, or the different people you mentioned yeah. who have been made redundant. You've got who really wanted that that job and you're you're sort of there thinking well it's all right it's doing it's paying the bills but it's not what i want to do but and you get to keep it also while starting to think i could be doing something new here that i kind of really want to do yeah and i, I think i started looking at self-employment at that stage so i'd, I'd learned a lot of skills around kind of consulting and strategy and development um, and i kind of wanted to put that into practice for myself and have a bit more control because one of the things that frustrated me was that lack of control within that corporate environment. So I wanted to kind of start and do stuff on my own. And I was talking to a few friends who had also been, uh, who had been made redundant, who had also started to think about kind of self-employment. So I, I started to explore what that might look like and how that would kind of work and, um, you know, what I'd kind of need to, to survive on, uh, you know, just some of the basic kind of financial planning and business planning around that. Um, and really started to get excited about actually the opportunities that could come, you know, come from that and the difference that I could make. Because one of the frustrations I, I've kind of found working in corporate is that I, I'd start to improve the, the working life of some of the teams or the customers that I was kind of dealing with. But then you'd get a change in, in policy or a change in what was happening in the organization. And you're kind of starting again. Whereas actually, if I left um, the insurance company and started to work, uh, with smaller businesses, work with people who probably didn't have access to the same level of support and help that a large corporate might have. Um, actually, I could make a bigger, longer lasting difference. And that was the bit that started to get me really excited. Um, the sense that I could kind of help people to feel more fulfilled and, and be more successful in their businesses, whilst at the same time having that control over kind of who I worked with, when I worked and, and how I did what I did. 
I guess it's also back to you, you, you stop being a number to people and you, you, everybody feels that sense, much more of a sense of fulfillment when they've been hands on with something. Yeah. That's been the big transition from what I've been doing because I, the company that I own, Hacksaw, yeah. I was, and I studied at university to be a web developer. I studied a number of things in the digital arena, but I've dropped, I've dropped onto being a web developer, which I, I don't do anymore. And I'm I'm hands on with the clients and relationships and and projects and things like that. And it was like I'm not actually doing anything here because I'm not making anything anymore. I'm at the beginning where you take the brief and you and you got to know the client and you bring this idea together. Somebody else does it, you manage it in the middle, but you're not actually got hands on. And then you get to the end and then you present the finished item. So you've kind of cultivated the idea along with the client. It's just somebody's. It's like being for one of a better term. It's one like being an architect, but but just watching over the shoulder of the architect. So you, you just see it happen, but then you get to present it. So that's kind of what has brought me on to doing something like this because I kind of struggled going through that, from going from being hands-on and creating something to not, but being the general overseeing yeah. thing of it. I, it's really exciting. I think small businesses are a really exciting bunch of people. Um, you know, the, the passion, the individual kind of, bits that drive them to do what they want to do is really exciting and, and you get lots of family history lots of family stories you get lots of stuff about what has uh, kind of brought people to the point where they want to run their own businesses and they want to you know create something different and do something new which was so um, contrasting to what I'd experienced within the corporate life that was just about earning money and um, that there wasn't that sense of the, the the rationale the why behind it People went and did a job and they went home and, and that was it. And that, yeah, just wasn't as exciting as the small business world. Yeah. So just before we get on to uh, your sort of the, the next part of your career, um, I've been there and done that and started that the business from nothing. I was incredibly young. I was straight out of university. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Incredibly naive. But the learning curve is mammoth. Yeah. So out of the things that you've had to learn, and there, and there will have been, I, I have no doubt, what were the sort of the the key things that you felt? Wow, I didn't realize that was gonna I was gonna have to do that, or I had to learn this, and what or something you came up against that was a bit of a task to get around and figure out. I, I think, and I think this is true for lots of people who have a particular skill or expertise. I think the sales side of things was the, the hardest thing for me to kind of get my grasp on. Um, I was so used to when you've got a job you kind of get given work to do you do it and you get paid for it whereas going out and convincing people that um, I was the right person to help them the right person to kind of make a difference in their business I kind of just assumed that I'd go out I'd talk to people and they go that's great when, when, when do we start and funnily enough it's not like that at all um, and I, I, I struggled first of all when I, I, I kind of first got out and doing stuff to to be able to sell people to be able to make that kind of convincing because I never had to when I worked within a corporate I had a job title I had a specific function and when I went to say look I can help you do this the the job title the authority that came with my position was enough but when you go out as a small business owner and you you go networking or you kind of do some marketing or do something that they don't know anything about you that there's no authority apart from the authority you create through your conversations and through talking to people that will then actually convince them that you're worth taking a punt with. So that was a real kind of eye opener for me. Um, I kind of just assumed it would be much easier. You'd go out and talk to someone who clearly had a problem, 
and therefore and it was a problem I knew I could fix and help with, but I just assumed they just go, okay, yeah, let, let's do some work together. Um, and it's not as simple as that. You know, it's taken a lot of time to to build up a style that I'm comfortable with um, that actually gets the results as well. So what sort of things, what sort of thoughts did you go through to try and perfect or build sort of a sales process um, for yourself? Did you, it's obviously, it's, um, it's, a, it's a forever changing thing. I often say that most things in, um, especially when you're a small business and you're in and you're trying to sell things or service or, or product, it's never linear. There's always, it's always more of a fluid motion. So what sort of things did you have to, what, what things did you do wrong initially? And then what, how did you write them, I guess? I, I think I, th- some of the stuff I did wrong was it was just rushing into things too quickly, um, not kind of learning people and, and kind of developing those relationships with people to start with, or taking the time to to really understand the problems from their point of view. And the difficulty is sometimes, particularly for a kind of consultants and professional services, it's very easy to come in and, and look at something and go, right, I think I know what the solution is. The problem is that's not how the customer sees it. And often there's a disconnect between what you want to say to them and actually what they want to hear. So developing that conversation so you can bring them round to understanding it from your point of view and you understanding their point of view was really important. Um, I, I think the other thing about sales is finding a style that was natural to me. Um, and I, I, I did a lot of training and a lot of learning when I first kind of started a business, not just around sales, but about, you know, every area that I could kind of get any training and support on. And there are some people who will say, right, if you're doing sales, you need to do it like this. And there'll be someone else who go, no, you need to do it like this. And there'll be a third person and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. And everyone will tell you a slightly different approach to it, but you need to find the one that you're comfortable with. And it, it took me a little while to find a style that, I felt comfortable with. Um, I think for lots of people, when they start a business, they don't necessarily consider themselves as salespeople. And and we have a bit of a negative view of what a salesperson is. So you have to kind of get a mindset around the the approach that you're taking so that it is something you feel comfortable with and and something you feel happy to do day in, day out with the, the business that you're running. Mm-hmm. So you, I, I, I'm a big firm believer that people buy people. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't really be anybody other than who I am. So if people, uh, I am pretty much, I consider myself a people person. That's why I seem to be all right behind the microphone or anything like that. And does the wife said in there, oh, we go out, I'll talk to anybody, it drives me crazy. It's, it's a shame I'm not a looker, otherwise the women running around after me. <laughs> so I always find that just being, being myself and personable is always the best, best, the best way forward is because, hey, I find that having a working relationship where people, where you actually like work, working with the people that you're working with always has a better end product anyway. And so you get a better working relationship and therefore the chances of you working together over a longer period of time are much are much greater. Uh, definitely. So it's not really, uh, maybe a, sorry. Yeah. Much of a, it's, it, for me, I never, I never want to come across as a hard sell or anything like that. It just comes out of conversation by being personable rather than being forceful. Yeah. And I think the difficulty lots of people when they first start is is that balance piece. Because when you first start, you, you I wouldn't necessarily use the word desperate, but you're keen to get work. You're keen to kind of get started. 
and particularly as you know whether it's your own personal savings or whatever you're using to support yourself through the first kind of couple of months of getting started when that starts to run a bit low or you know your partner or your family start talking about kind of added expenses you kind of get a bit more um yeah kind of desperate to make the sale and where i think instinctively most of us would rather build the relationship and get to know people it's that pressure bit that kind of makes you go but i need the sale i need i need to make this sale i need to convince you know my partner or convince myself that this is a valid business idea it's going to work uh, and that's the difficulty i think it's the the inner voice that's kind of telling you that yeah the mortgage has got to be paid in a month and you know the the kids need new school uniforms or whatever it is that little pressure that then makes us act out of who we are in order to get that sale and that's where often it goes wrong because we stop being I was just going to say because yeah exactly and that's where people can smell it coming a mile off can't they it's about having that faith and knowing that whatever the thing the thing that you're offering and whatever you're saying will work and it, it it will come because it generally does. Yeah. Uh, um, you tend to have to do something substantially wrong um, to not get to not get a, a job or a project. The chance the chance the, well the ones that you do miss tend to be by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. Or they're just not um, the right piece of work. And I, I think yeah. it's interesting. We, I think again, particularly when people start up or they're in the new phase within their business, they kind of want every piece of work and they want to work with every customer. And every person that comes along, they think they can help. So, you know, you talked about doing the web design stuff that you think, oh, I could design a website for anybody. But actually, not everybody will like your style. Not everybody will like your approach. And there's plenty of business for all of us out there. Um, There are, you know, literally thousands of, of web designers and thousands of people who do the same kind of stuff that I do. And there's enough work for all of us. So sometimes when you, oh, yeah. you don't get the right response, you just need to move on and accept it and go, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, there's certain jobs that come up that our company recommends other people that do what we do just because it's not the right work. Um, it's, it, it, does, it does help having that community around yeah, um, who you can fall back on every now and again when something doesn't suit. A friend of mine's uh, started a new business and they've they've been uh, pitching for work and they've actually turned they turned down a handful of jobs until it was the right one and they'd not won any work before at all. Yeah, uh, and they turned down a, a, a good handful to, until they got the one they wanted to work on, which they were excited to work on, uh, and has been great for them. And that's when you start to, to get known for the types of jobs you really want to do. So then the recommendations afterwards fit that rather than taking any job and then people going, oh, yeah, I'd like you to do that as well. And it's like, oh, not another one. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I, it's, right. I think it's really important to to know the type of work that you want to do and the type of customers you want to work with because then it, it, it does become much easier then to make that sale and, and to kind of build that relationship with the customer. So over the 10 years um, that you were in the insurance game yeah. and you mentioned that you developed all these different sort of skills and you got this knowledge from bouncing around doing different jobs. What did that allow you to move forward and be, I guess? What, how did you put all those together and, and and start running things on your own? Yeah, and, and I think that the, the simple answer is um, very badly to start with because the, the first business that I started when I left the insurance company uh, was called All Sorts Consulting. And I used to do all sorts of stuff for all sorts of businesses. So I do business planning. I, I do leadership development. I do uh, process excellence. I do... 
uh, kind of complaint handling, all these things that I'd done over the time that I was at uh, the insurance company, I, I tried to fit under one umbrella and under one business. Um, and would often you know, talk about that I could do anything for any business. And actually, it didn't take long for me to realize that whilst it sounded uh, like a clever marketing type piece, actually, it just confused people. They didn't really understand what it is that I could do. Uh, they didn't understand where my expertise lies. Um, and you kind of fall into that kind of jack of all trades uh, type problem. Um, and yeah. So you kind of, you kind of, I'm sure you'll have heard the term if you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. Yeah. And, and, and that's I, exactly what it was. Isn't I, it? I, I was not only talking to everybody, I was talking about everything as well. So that, that yeah. sense that I, I felt, and in your head, you can justify it really easy. You can talk about becoming the one stop shop. And, and you hear phrases like that, which sound like they're a really good marketing ploy. They sound like that's the kind of thing. It makes that, me want to bite my head. Yeah, it, it, it does. And, it, and it's, it's funny in some ways. I, I think as much as I could give good business advice uh, to other businesses, I, I could sit down and talk to them and say, but this is the bit you really need to focus on. I was struggling to do that for myself. I was struggling to listen to that inner bit of my head. And even when people said to me, you know, I don't quite get what you do. Is this your focus? Is this your focus? I just keep going, no, no, I can do all of it. I can do everything. Um, and again, it's that nervousness of not having enough work or turning down a customer because they're, they're not quite looking for what you're delivering. And that's the tricky thing. And it is the, the, the sense of saying, oh, this is my focus. It, both in terms of the customer and also in terms of the activity as well. And that's when I started then to move on to, to what I do now and, and the bit that I'm, I'm really enjoying and the, and the stuff that's really working for me as well. All right. Why, why did you just tell me a bit about that? So, yeah, a, a few years ago, I kind of went through a rebranding and I, I thought about the stuff that I really did enjoy and the bits that I kept seeing as being the issues within lots of businesses. And for me, it was the conversations that people were having. I'm not necessarily going to blame technology as a whole, but actually we're getting worse at just having conversations with people. We struggle to communicate. I, I used to see it a bit with the insurance company that people would kind of go down an email route, even to talk to people who were, you know, 50 yards down the office to them. And we get stuck in this kind of um, online communication with people through email, through uh, kind of uh, social media kind of stuff. And it was just, really painful conversations that were going on there were lots of misunderstandings there were lots of frustrations there were lots of things that were not being done because we just lost what it meant to have a conversation um, and also we were starting to make assumptions because of that so you'd send an email and someone doesn't respond to you immediately so you start to make up your own little story in your head about why that's the case and you go, well, they're avoiding me because they don't want to do this or because something's gone wrong. And you start filling in all these negatives. So then the next time you actually do speak to them, you've already got your back up and you launch into a conversation that ends up being disastrous. Rather than making positive assumptions and say, well, maybe something's, you know, something's happened that's more important or they're prioritising something else. or maybe they've People are generally people. just busy, aren't they? Yeah, some people are just busy. But we've got into this mindset that, I can send you an email and it'll appear on your desk and you will immediately see it and immediately respond to it. And so I'm sat there looking at the clock, waiting for this email to come back or waiting for you to do the thing that I've asked you to do. And when it doesn't happen, we start to get frustrated. But actually, if you have a conversation with someone and you're sat in a room 
talking to them, you, you don't behave in that kind of way. And so you start to think about how we do communication and how we... Yeah, you actually become human again. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the bit we were starting to lose. And I, to a certain extent, I think he had gone in, in, in the corporate world a long time ago, but actually we were starting to lose it in the small business as well, world as well. And I think part of that came because there were lots of people who had been in the corporate lifestyle for a long, long time coming into the small business world and going, no, no, you need to do it like this. This is the way that we've always done it in the corporate world, and this is what you need to do. Well, actually, the, the greatest strength of small businesses is the fact they don't behave like corporates. They don't think in the same way. They don't act in the same way. And we started to lose that sense of individual individuality that made small businesses so great and so strong in the first place. And how long ago is it since you did the rebrand and sort of focused in and honed in? It's about two and a bit years ago now. So, yeah, and, and it's been really good. It was a whole rethinking and, and thinking about not just uh, the activities and, and the, some of the broader brand stuff, but some of the, the models that come out of the back of it. And because th there's a little bit of stuff now going on across uh, a, a bit of stuff in this country, there's a bit of stuff in America, but there's not a lot of people who kind of focus on conversations and focus on what that means in terms of a business. So a lot of it was starting to make it up myself and start looking at the little bits of research that was out there and going, actually, what would this look like within the context? So, yeah, I, I spent a bit of time coming up with my own business models, my own uh, kind of tools and techniques, because it just didn't really exist in the, uh, in the world at the moment. So looking back over the... Um over your like your time at the uh, insurance firm and what you were after that and then how you honed it in um because let's let's be honest it's a frank conversation the being a small business owner is far from easy and there's a lot of pe a lot of things out there that you don't that people don't say about being a small business and it's damn hard yes and no to a certain extent I, I, so yes it is hard but i think if you've got the right kind of why behind you the the right motivation then actually it's not as hard as it kind of seems sometimes. Um, I think sometimes we, we kind of make it harder for ourselves. We, we believe that we have to work, you know, 14 hours a day, um, which is a bit ironic because we're kind of sat here at night kind of chatting. Um, but you not work, though, is it? Huh? Don't is go it there. Work? But it is. We, we kind of put in this, you know, 14-hour kind of work day for ourselves because we think that's what's really important. That's the way to do it. But actually... That there's a lot of stuff that you can do within a business that can start to build in greater flexibility and, and greater opportunities to do stuff. Um, about well, probably about 18 months ago, I, I dropped down to only working four days a week and I'm more productive now than I was before. Um, and mm -hmm. that's because in the time that I'm working, I have to be really focused. Um, and it's really easy when you, you kind of got almost an endless amount of time to just expand activities and just fill the time with what you've got. And you kind of always think, well, I, I just do a bit of work at the weekend or a, a bit of work at this point, rather than actually being a bit strict with ourselves and saying, no, I can achieve it if I just put a tighter deadline on myself and go, right, I've got an hour to get this done. At the end of the hour, that's it. It is done as good as I can do it to be. Rather than going, well, actually, I'll do a bit more on it tomorrow. And, and the next day and the next day and the next day. And those kind of things just drag out and kind of expand to fill, um, yeah, as much time as you like, really. If I would just ask you the single biggest sort of tipping point that either if you had hindsight or just to what you've, what you've learned, the single, single biggest 
actionable tip that you could give people um, who's going through this sort of turning point in their life? What What do you think that would be? I, I think there's probably two that are the uh, two sides to a single coin. So think about and find two or three people within uh, your, your kind of life, whether they're business colleagues, whether they're uh, other businesses who you kind of relate to, who you really trust to give you an absolutely honest opinion about everything else. So the, the people that you can get feedback from, the people you can test ideas on, um, people who can just go to and talk about anything with your business, knowing you can be 100% honest. The, the flip side of that is that shut out pretty much most of the feedback from lots of other people. Because there's one of the things that, and I think it's true of small business owners, I think it's true of, of people in any situation, we love to give our opinion. If someone tells us about something, we'd love to come along and say, oh, no, I don't agree with that. I think you should do it like this. I think you should change that and tweak that. I, I think, have you thought about doing it this way? And we can listen to so many other voices that it's almost difficult to know what to do yourself. When actually you probably only need two or three people who can just be a sounding board for you. You don't need them to tell you what to do. You don't need them to come up with the ideas themselves. You just need them to give that honest feedback because the chances are you know exactly what you want to do yourself. You know exactly how you need to and how you want to run your business. You just need a bit of confidence from people to say, yeah, do it like that. And there'll be technical things you need to learn, but it's, it, it's the big advice stuff that we can spend too long listening to everybody rather than just listening to ourselves and the two or three people that we really trust. On the flip side of listening, how can people get in touch with you? How can they have a chat with you? Um, so there are lots of different ways. You can find me on Twitter on at TBC Simon. So that's the business conversation with Simon. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, either as Simon Whitbread or just type in the business conversation list. Uh, or you can just go to thebusinessconversationalist.com uh, and kind of uh, fill in a form and kind of get in touch with there. I, I love talking to uh, businesses at whatever stage they're at. So I'm always happy to kind of have a chat with someone, talk about any issues or just be that sounding board for them. Uh, if they just want some honest feedback on where they're going and what they're doing in their business at the moment. Simon, thank you very much for sharing your story. It's been a great insight. Excellent. Thank, thank you very much. So that's it for the uh, this episode of The Turning Point. I've been your host, Daniel Moore, and our guest today has been Simon Whitbread. Remember, together we can make one of life's biggest challenges that much easier to overcome.